What's up, everyone? This is Lito, and you're listening to Crypto Testers, a podcast keeping you informed about all the coolest projects in the crypto space. In this episode, I talk to Matthew Feinstone from Loopring. Loopring is a team developing a layer 2 solution. It has long been clear that Ethereum needs scaling solutions in order to fulfill its promise of hosting any type of decentralized application on its network. Currently, although DeFi is just a niche industry, the Ethereum network is already reaching its maximum capacity. This is why gas prices have been so high in the past few months. Users have to compete against each other to get their transaction validated by miners. Matthew and I discuss the landscape of Layer 2 solutions and how Loopring fits in there, the advantage of being a first mover in the Layer 2 market, as well as the challenges to bring liquidity to the Loopring exchange. We also discussed the future roadmap of Loopring and how it plans to bring the next 100,000 users onto its Layer 2 solution, as well as the role and the mechanics behind the Loopring token. But before we jump into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Bitwalla. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They offer users in Europe a full-fledged bank account, including deposit insurance and other things, as well as an integrated Bitcoin and Ethereum wallet. So using Bitwalla, you can move your money seamlessly between your euros and your crypto. They keep on adding new features such as their recently launched Bitcoin interest account, allowing users to earn interest on their Bitcoin. I highly recommend you check them out. I will post a link in the show notes. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? Very good. Yeah, it's good to have you here. It's been a long time since I've been wanting to invite someone to discuss the topic of Layer 2 because the word is always dropped in conversations that I have with my guests here on the podcast, but without ever explaining what it is. So I hope this episode will help to get everyone of my listeners onboarded on the topic. And besides, I think it's a very hot topic currently. This week, we saw Kane from Synthetics, who wrote a very good blog post on why they chose optimistic roll-ups as their scaling solution. And a week before that, I think there was another blog post from Vitalik uh, Buterin. And naturally, this led to a lot of debate with uh, or between competing scaling solutions. So I think it's the perfect timing to discuss all this with you today. Can you maybe start by summarizing how you got to Loopring and what you're doing there? Sure. And first of all, thank you for having me fill this, uh, this role and, and this, this uh, gap in the, in the L2, uh, uh, hopefully, knowledge for your listeners. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm with uh, Loopring. I lead business over there, so kind of head of business and um, in the business development efforts. We're a team of about 20, mostly engineers, maybe like 17 out of the, out of the 20 are, are engineers. Primarily based in Shanghai. I'm here in um, North America, though. And I got here from the traditional finance route. I know you know you speak to a lot of people for the podcast and, and just in general, you probably hear all the backstories and 
either come from the tech or from finance or or arts increasingly, you know, all, all different paths. But um, I was a, a fixed income trader or like working on the sales and trading desk of a, of a bond firm. And um, yeah, I, I heard about Loopring early on, I guess uh, one month after they launched. I was already kind of out of the typical finance world and just full-time exploring crypto, the, the typical rabbit hole. And yeah, I joined Loopring nearly so they launched three and a bit years ago, and I joined shortly after that. So it's been a it's been a long ride, and really enjoying it. Now L two is heating up, and there's more to do than ever before. So yeah, that's it. Okay, so you got into the layer two space before it was cool, so to say. Good on you. Yeah, maybe you could say I'm not sh I'm not sure I was that cool though, because actually loopering, and and I guess we'll we'll discover this in the history. Loopring was not always layer two. We were kind of the first, we were the first roll-up and the first ZK roll-up. I know we'll dive into what the heck all, all this means, but Loopring at its birth was just a DEX protocol. It wasn't layer two. It didn't have layer two in its description or ZK roll-ups. It was a DEX protocol and scalability was kind of like forced onto us in terms of trying to solve our own problems. We were like, damn, how are we ever going to compete With these centralized exchanges, when we're you know running at a at a snail's pace, we were trying to build order book exchanges, and how could we have competed with the UX of a, of a centralized exchange? And that kind of led us into layer two to solve our own problems, and then we became a, kind of a layer two scaling solution just because we, we kind of had some success on the research and development of uh, rollups there. So I'm not so sure we were like prescient or, or cool, but it just kind of happened right right place, right time. Gotcha. That makes sense. I've seen layer two solutions being discussed pretty much since I have been in the Ethereum space, so three or four years ago. And I think even before that, at the very start of Ethereum in 2015, it was already clear that alternative scaling solutions would be needed because the main chain was just not fast enough to host all these applications. But it's only now that we're seeing the fruits of all this research with the first uh, applications running on layer two networks. Can you maybe give a brief overview on the layer two landscapes? Because I know there are a few terms floating around like state channels, side chains, ZK rollups and optimistic rollups. And yeah, those are the ones that come to mind, but I'm sure there are more. How do these technologies differ roughly without i know you could talk probably an hour about each of them but just like roughly and what's feasible with each of them yeah please feel free to uh, cut me off if i ramble on this topic the categorization of layer twos are definitely a lot to cover but yeah so so first of all what is layer two i think it's actually very important to define this not for just you know like academic or just you know trying to put things in their place reasons but um because increasingly as applications go on alternate layers or scaling solutions but like without using the word layer two if somebody says hey you know synthetics is on this layer two or loop ring is on this layer two it's important that layer two itself means something and that i'm pretty uh, there's pretty good consensus in, in the ethereum community and among just researchers and, and, and really just everybody, layer two means you are a layer above Ethereum. You're not on the main chain, layer one, but 
you inherit Ethereum security guarantees. Uh, either, I mean, there, there's different, there, there's still a spectrum of security guarantees and, and different trade-offs in the layer two space, but just to get that layer two label out there, it means that you're building on Ethereum and at the end of the day, you are dependent on Ethereum for your security of this alternate layer of this little like this freeway that sits above Ethereum, that somewhat congested main thoroughfare, then you're on this other layer and you, you have your, your security that is inherited from Ethereum. And that could be through like cryptographic means or by economic games, crypto economic games that ensure that that security to Ethereum is, is, is there. But, but layer two means you are attached to Ethereum layer one in a pretty significant way. Um, you are not relying on an independent set of validators to reach consensus on your chain. That would be a side chain. So the big two buckets uh, that I hope are, are helpful for listeners, it's you're broadly speaking, you're either a layer two. If you're trying to scale Ethereum or your app is going on a, on a scaling solution, then it's layer two or a side chain. Side chain, the defining factor, meaning there's an independent set of validators that you have to be comfortable with. If you go to this chain, then there's X many nodes or validators or you know whatever you want to call it in, in, this, in, in the relevant scheme that is reaching consensus and that is you know saying what the state of that world is. It's because there's people running some POS, like an, an alternate consensus mechanism is happening. And that, that would be a side chain. So it's important. There's reasons for side chains to exist. But when somebody says, I'm going to a side chain, they should know that you no longer have a foot on Ethereum that, that tightly. You're, you're dependent on a, a new set of validators that hopefully is widely distributed, right? Hopefully it's not like three best friends running all the nodes or, or 21 nodes that are, have been kind of appointed. So that's the big thing. Layer two is you're really depending on Ethereum. Gotcha. That was a very good description. So, for example, a good example of a sidechain would be XDAI, for example. No, They have a bridge to the Ethereum network, but they're not deriving their security from the Ethereum network. Yes, that's true. It's funny. That's a good example because that's, that's like a very friendly sidechain, right? Like um, they exist to scale Ethereum, but, but that's exactly right. They have... Uh, Their own kind of set of validators and and you know it's widely recognized that there's a, a security trade-off there you have to be comfortable with the, with a different set of, of validators i say it's interesting because they're very friendly you know they are an ethereum project i just on the top of my mind is is side chains that are like kind of alternate l1s that are a bit more adversarial towards ethereum like they, they kind of wanted to be an eth killer or eth alternative at some point But now they're like building bridges. They've kind of just changed their posture slightly. And it's no longer like we will kill Ethereum, but we, we are a side chain that has a bridge to Ethereum. You can go back and forth. And when you come here, you're giving up security, but you're, uh, yeah, you're able to go faster and do other sorts of things. But yeah, that's, that's a perfect example by, by you. Interesting. And so I guess from what you're saying, an unfriendly side chain would be something like Solana. They are building that they're building an alternate layer one, but they're also trying to build a bridge to Ethereum because they know they need it because that's where all the users are and all the assets are and all the applications are. 
Right. Yeah, very well said. So I would definitely ca- categorize them as that. They probably wouldn't like that. And I mean, no, no disrespect. They're, you know, doing ambitious things. But honestly, just on the, on the top of my mind is this, this post I wrote for Coindesk ahead of that Ethereum event last week, where um, basically I, I wrote this post. So I have this kind of framework in mind where uh, the title is Ethereum Enhancers, not Ethereum Killers. And I don't mean to plug myself here or, or anything, but it just it really helped clarify my mental model of what the heck is going on. And basically, the, the thesis is that like Ethereum killers don't really exist anymore. That narrative is dead. They failed. <laughs> you found out it's not so easy to kill Ethereum. And a lot of the most flexible in terms of their identity and their positioning, they should become or they are becoming, whether they realize it or not, they're becoming Ethereum enhancers not Ethereum killers. And um, that's like a mature stance to take, I think, if they say, hey, we have a better chance of succeeding by enhancing Ethereum and building these bridges and saying, hey, when you come here, you could use all your Ethereum-based assets and you could do this and that and not trying to like eliminate Ethereum, but enhance it. So that's why that's on my mind, but that, that might just be a distinction that I make between... So maybe that is helpful. I kind of said... There's two types of Ethereum enhancers. There's like homegrown layer twos, things like Loopring, like Optimism, like everything we'll get into. And then there's kind of, you know, there's allied L1s is how I put it. So like L1s that might have started their life with an ambition to kill Ethereum or just live in complete disregard of Ethereum. But here they are acutely aware of Ethereum now, building bridges, being EVM compatible, supporting Ethereum assets, and saying, hey, come here, we're friendly, and you can go faster or do certain things here. So they're kind of allied L1s as opposed to homegrown L2s. Um, But yeah, I'll leave that there. Maybe that does add some color to the model, though, and it's helpful to think about. Absolutely, yeah. And where does Loopring fit in that landscape? Is it uh, just an exchange, or is it a generalized computation network that can host any type of application? For example, could uh, Synthetics now host its decentralized exchange on the Loopring network? Right. So that's a, that's a good question. And it's kind of in between what you said uh, is where I would put it. It's not just an exchange. It's not a generalized platform where anybody could build anything. It's somewhere in between there. So Loopring is a ZK rollup implementation. It is actually the first ZK rollup on Ethereum. And of course, that means the first roll-up of any kind because optimistic roll-ups aren't exactly here yet, although they're, they're now on testnet and it's very exciting. But so, so Loopring is a ZK roll-up. So we deployed Loopring's, Loopring's ZK roll-up in December 2019. So 11 months uh, already, which is kind of crazy to think about because Layer 2 is, has been so hot kind of all summer and especially now. You know, ours has been running for nearly a year We've got the benefit to, to learn how users are interacting with it, how, you know, so we were, were fortunate to kind of have some, some data behind this and have just been running on mainnet for a while. But so I guess the reason I say that is because we're in a, a state of transition. We have this, uh, the biggest upgrade of our lives in audits right now to be deployed within a month or two b- before 2020 is over for sure. So that, that's Loopring version 3.6. But so Loopring ZK Rollup was created to scale our decentralized exchange use case. As I said, Loopring was always an open protocol to build 
de decentralized exchanges of the type of, um, you know, similar to a zero X type model or what zero X was before matcha and all this, we loopring was building order book exchanges. So you go there, you look at an order book, you, you know, you feel like you're on the typical centralized exchange and, and you're trading from there. So it's not an AMM. It's not an aggregator. It, it was an order book hybrid. It was a hybrid model in the sense that order books were hosted off chain and then you do a trade and you submit the max trade to Ethereum. To scale that, we said, okay, instead of taking a matched trade from the order book and then sending that to Ethereum and, and, match, and then it being matched and kind of consummated on Ethereum, which only got us three transactions per second and cost you know, quite a bit of gas, we said, let's, let's scale this using a ZK rollup construction, which you know, when we started research into it, I guess, two years ago, it wasn't as um, you know, popular as it is now, but we said, we're going to batch all these transactions. So take 4,000 matched trades, prove them in a, in a ZK snark proof. So for the listeners, just very briefly, the ZK, as you, you might be aware, comes from zero knowledge for a, for a scaling solution, for a ZK rollup. But we're not doing things for any privacy preservation way. Uh, I'll just kind of preempt that, that question or that topic. ZK rollups, we use the ZK, the, the zero knowledge proofs, as a succinct proof for verifiable computation. So we said, hey, we did all these 4,000 things off chain, off chain. We just updated our exchange by matching 4,000 orders. We're going to prove it and compress it using this cryptographic tool, this zero knowledge proof. And then we submit to Ethereum this proof that says, yes, 4,000 things happened in that off-chain world, in that Merkle tree is, a, is the data structure. It's just you know the, the type of database, the data structure that we're using off-chain. 4,000 things happened. Here is like a summary proof of the new state of the world. And here's some kind of extra data that makes a roll-up a roll-up. Yeah, so we have, we have the zero-knowledge proof, and we have a bit of extra data that says, hey, if everyone to like recreate the state of the world as it was an hour ago and two hours ago and all the way back to like inception time, here are like little data breadcrumbs that we're storing on Ethereum. So these little data, these are like the deltas of the leaves of the Merkle tree, plus the proof allows anybody to reconstruct what the, this off-chain world was just from reading Ethereum and just from Ethereum existing. That was perfect sorry, because sorry. I think that's very needed. So if we think about Ethereum as this very useful but very slow world computer, Loopring basically takes some of that computation and it's, instead of running this computation on this slow computer, it takes it to a network above, a layer two, and it does all these computations and a lot more and it batches them together and compresses the proofs of all these computations in something very small in like a cryptographic proof. And that proof gets kind of submitted to the Ethereum main chain. And that's why it derives its security from the Ethereum blockchain, because anyone can, can verify that these computations happened the way they claimed they happened, basically. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say that that's, that's a very good way to put it. The one thing to keep in mind, which people might wonder, like, hey, how does that keep assets secure, is that like assets never actually left Ethereum. Um, to get onto a ZK rollup, 
you deposit assets into an Ethereum smart contract that then maps the balance onto that off-chain state of the world that says, okay, you know, Emmanuel deposited uh, 500 DAI, his Ethereum address deposited into the Ethereum smart contract. Now there, hey, over there on layer two in the Merkle tree, create a little slot, uh, like your account becomes a slot that says, okay, 0x4279 becomes, you know, slot, you know, account ID slot number 5064, and he has 500 die. And whenever you want to leave, all you have to do is say, hey, you know, loopring deposit contract or loopring smart contract. That's my 500 die in there. Like you obviously see that because of all these proofs and because, you know, the protocol knows the state of the world, I would like my money back and, and you withdraw it. So your money is always only going into an Ethereum smart contract and then it's usable on the layer two. You can go fast there. It's gas free. You do trades, you do transfers. And then when you want to, you want to leave, although as we'll, we'll talk about, there's going to be less and less reason to leave. You could stay on that layer two, but for whatever reason, if ever you want to leave, you could always just withdraw your assets. There's nothing loopering could do to censor a withdrawal. There's nothing a state could do, a regulator could do. That's why a, a ZK rollup is super, super secure. It's the most conservative, if, if I will, of all the layer two solutions. It's upholding the greatest security guarantees um, so, so that's how it works. So, so yeah, you, you summarized it perfectly, but just to let you know, and, and your listeners know that the assets stay on Ethereum, but they're kind of being mapped to a parallel universe where the computations happen and the state gets updated. And then it, that gets, that gets reflected into the, into the balances. Gotcha. And so because the deposits, the, the assets are pooled in a smart contract on the main chain, all the user assets, basically any user can take their ZK proof and submit it to the smart contract on the main chain. And that smart contract then gives the user their balance back. So basically, you can always get your funds back, even if the worst thing would happen. Exactly. That is, you know, the most important thing for like as users are going to start to hear about layer twos and there's going to be alternate solutions and there's going to be you know inevitably scammers and some swindlers what a user has to realize is to be a a really secure layer two you have to be able to withdraw your assets in all cases of the world in the worst case of the world what you described is a user submitting a zk proof to get their assets back should only actually happen in like the worst case like The, a global shutdown mode where loop ring is, like, turned evil or, you know, is incapacitated somehow, God forbid, but like something like that. Before like that worst case scenario, you simply say like, hey, like on a nice, you know, shiny button, withdraw, and then the loop ring operator, the thing that kind of like relays between the smart contracts plus that off-chain world, this kind of like middleman operator that doesn't need to be trusted. This is the most important thing to realize. This operator, it sounds like I'm talking about a singular thing. Indeed, I am. I'm talking in like the loopring.io case, like an application that we built above the loopring protocol. So a product that we built, um, which is an exchange and payment application for scalable trading and transfers. We, like there is a monolithic relayer, this heavy duty software that is making those updates, generating those proofs, And it really is us running it in the cloud and it's like a high powered machine, but you don't need to trust, you, you don't need to trust this 
relayer, the worst thing it could do is say, hey, like I'm tired or I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I'm out of here. I'm not available. And in that case, that is when you say, hey, okay, thank goodness. At least I could submit my, my Merkle proof to always withdraw my assets from Ethereum. If Ethereum exists, users get their assets back. But in the normal everyday case, you don't need to do some, you know, a, a user doesn't need to know, oh, what the hell is a, is a zero knowledge proof, right? That's really bad and scary. They just click withdraw and we say, sure, here are your funds. Yeah, I think this aspect is very important though, this, this uh, security that's derived from the main chain and that you always that you can always kind of resort as a fallback to, to the security because in other aspects, it reminds me a lot of, of the UX of centralized exchanges where you can also deposit your crypto and then inside that exchange you can trade very fast and you can then also withdraw your funds back to the blockchain and it also takes some time. So in other words, the exchange also takes some transaction load off the blockchain and they're connected to it. But unlike Loopring, they use a centralized database Meaning, if they get hacked, or if they, are, you know, are run by some evil people, they could take your funds. And in the case of Loopring, that's not the case. There's that money is held on a smart contract, and the user always has the option to to get their money back, basically. Perfectly said. I'm really glad you explained it as such because that's actually a way that I, I typically love to explain it. It's really really nice. It's you know for. If, if we're just thinking about Loopring as, as an exchange, as an order book exchange, it is Binance or Coinbase Pro or Kraken, whatever your favorite centralized exchanges, with some kind of special cryptography, some, some fancy you know, alien math, what, what people like to call zero-knowledge cryptography, way above you know, my head is all the intricacies of it, but some fancy cryptography that makes it so Loopring cannot be evil. So it's like, A centralized exchange, as you said, where you deposit, you do a bunch of things that are fast and free and nice UX, kind of feeling like the legacy world where not everything costs gas and stuff like that. Except, yes, there's some fancy cryptographic constraints or you know assurances that mean nothing bad could happen. The operator cannot turn evil. The regulator cannot, you know, on a whim freeze funds. All you know, it's timely. We're talking about this now. We've had we've had Bitmex, uh, OKX. Qcoin, kind of three different attack vectors, right? You know, kind of getting leaned on by a state regulator saying, hey, no more withdrawals. That could never happen in Loopring, can never be hacked by an outside person, right? There's no centralized hot wallets to be had. A user always controls their funds. When it's in that smart contract, it's still always yours. And then you're going to be transacting on the layer two by simply signing a message with your same Ethereum address. Address It signs something so so perfectly said and actually an, an interesting thing to think about Emmanuel is in some sense you know those centralized exchanges are an off-chain scaling solution I won't call them a layer two certainly they're not but they are something that offloads ethereum uh, congestion right people send money there they do a bunch of things then they go back to ethereum it's just an off-chain solution with a very centralized trust model right there's no you're not trusting cryptography you're not trusting crypto economic games or, you know, rational economic actors, like in the sense of an optimistic world, you're trusting reputation, you're trusting regulation, 
right? Like that is what people are trusting with Coinbase. They're saying these this company has more to gain by honoring my redemption when I click withdraw. I really trust they're not going to run away with it because they have uh, more money to be made by upholding their reputation and not going to jail because they're highly regulated and stuff like that. But of course, for certain people, they don't want to leave it in the hands of reputation regulation because we see how even the best intentions, right? A good reputation plus a nice regulatory jurisdiction could still backfire. Hackers could, you know, hackers are, are one threat. And uh, maybe the whims of a regulator in like changing regulatory times could also be a threat. So, Gotcha. Okay, so on the one hand side, we have loopring.io, which is an application that you build yourself just to showcase also the, the technology powering it. So loopring ZK rollup. But how, like, if you compare it to other layer two teams and layer two solutions often they only focus on the layer two network and then they try to encourage other existing applications on the ethereum mainnet to come build and replicate the application on their layer two solution you have a somewhat different approach where you are both a layer two network And you have your own application, namely Lubring.io, which is yeah, the decentralized exchange that we all know. So can you explain the idea behind that and how this is going to kind of change going forward? Because you also mentioned Lubring 3.6. Where's your focus mainly? Right. Okay. Thank you, Manuel, for bringing back up this question because I realize You kind of asked this before when I got stuck in the weeds of describing a, a ZK rollup. This was related to that question of like, you know, what are we trying to do? How could other builders use it? Your assessment was like really right on. I'll just give some context and a, a tiny bit of history to how we got here because I think that helps answer it. But so, so yeah, we were a DEX protocol. We were always saying, hey, come build on us, come build on us, uh, right? For three years, it was, you know, come build on us. Then we went the ZK rollup way for the open source protocol. The, the open source protocol turned into a ZK rollup. So it was a protocol for scalable exchanges. All the while, we were still saying to people, hey, you could come build scalable exchanges here now. You could, you, you know, come, come build, uh, you know, the next Binance killer on Loopring protocol. It's fast, it's secure, build your exchange here. You probably have a, a great view of this with, with crypto testers and just all the products you you interact with and, and teach about, it became clear, like many, it kind of a standard playbook uh, materialized that a lot of these open source protocols started eating their own dog food, moving up the stack to build products on top of them and kind of not waiting for everybody else to come, right? It wasn't like, if you build it, they will come. It was like, if you build it, no one is really going to come and maybe you want to build your own product on top of your protocol to show what's possible. So that like examples I think about with that, like early on with like Dharma, right? Dharma did like a really drastic one from being like a, you know, like a lending protocol to then just being an application on top of their biggest competitor in compound to now being like just a, you know, generally consumer facing product wallet doing a lot of you know, a lot of cool things, stuff like that. And again, like zero X as well, open source protocol, people were building lots of relayers, DEXs. Now here they've moved up the stack and it seems like they have, uh, from my point of view, uh, I won't speak, I won't actually assess their situation, but you know, their product 
is actually what uh, seems to be really working right right now. So same for us. We said, hey, in February, you know, so we released the ZK roll-up in, in December. And in February, we said we're going to build our own exchange on top of it. It's kind of a showcase to show others what's possible, but also hopefully somewhat of a money maker. Um, you know, we're going to run this exchange, charge fees, and just show it's possible. So that's how it happened. It's open source protocol to, hey, let's build products on top of it. So that's what Loopring Exchange uh, or Loopring.io, that's what it was born out of. That to say, with time, we have focused more and more on on advancing our own products as well. The protocol remains open source. So Loopring version 3.1, which is what's going on right now, which is what's been live this whole time. It's open, people are building on it, people could build it. But yes, it's true in the sense of like our kind of identity versus other layer twos, we also do build our own products on top of it. So that's what that's what loopring.io is. And anybody could build on the open source loopring protocol, but it's not a generalized thing. So to answer kind of the other aspect of your statement, we built loop the ZK rollup, our layer two scaling solution with a singular focus in mind to scale order book exchanges, to, to absolutely scale order book exchanges in the, in the most safe and secure and scalable way possible. So it, was, it wasn't generalizable. We weren't saying, hey, we're going to port all of Ethereum here in the future. We were saying we are going to allow people to build, you know, Kraken killers on Ethereum. That's what we were we're doing. So we weren't generalizable from the beginning. As time went on, though, we started adding some extra functionality to the protocol. We, in this summer, what we did was when it's when it started to see that uh, gas fees were creeping up, a lot of the Ethereum community was saying, hey, Loopring, it's great that you're like an order book exchange, ZK roll up. But what about the ability to just transfer, like make simple transfers? When I'm on the ZK roll up, why can't I just like, you know, transfer my assets to somebody else on there. And we said, that's a really good idea. And it was just like a, an identity thing, right? Sometimes it's just how you get positioned. Really, I must say it was like Vitalik and other Ethereum leading researchers that were like, hey, Loopring, you're the only roll up. Why don't you just expand yourself a bit? And we said, yeah, we could do that. That's an easy thing to add, right? It's not like generalized smart contract support. It's just transfers. So in June, we kind of tacked on this ability, which we dub Loopring Pay. So we not only can you trade on Loopring's layer two, but you could also do gas-free, high-throughput transfers. So I could transfer to you, Emmanuel, on the layer two if you're if you're on there, and boom, you get it like what seems to be instantly on the layer two. Of course, the Ethereum finality hasn't been kind of mined yet, but yeah, so I just I just give this context to show that you know we started using a zk roll to solve our own protocols problem. Then we built a product on top of it. Then it became clear that we should add some functionality to the product, like the ability to do transfers, not just trades, and and on and on. And that's what version three point six adds on. We said, okay, we want to add this and we want to add that. A big thing that we're adding now is AMM support in version three point six. So right now, Loopring.io is only an order book exchange. If you go on there, you'll see, you know, we list, I don't know, maybe 25 trading pairs. Some are not liquid at all because order books, you know, require some type of active liquidity provision, somebody to place limit orders as the market moves. But we figured out a way. We, we said we want to support AMMs also. 
So that that was a very product-driven innovation of the protocol. We said, hey, we want our exchange to be more liquid, more usable by all traders, support like a long tail of assets. So we are able to support different AMMs now uh, uh, coming up in version 3.6 on the ZK rollup. So that's how I'll say, and just to, to wrap up this, this line of thought, Emmanuel, definitely other builder, it's not just loopring.io that will, will live on loopring uh, protocol. There actually is another exchange in, in China that uses loopring protocol. They were before us, actually. They were the first one. So like in January, right after the protocol was done, they built an exchange on it. Uh, they're, they're small. They're called Weedex, um, but they're a, 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 you know, a regional player. In China, and you know their users like the security guarantees that they get out of the zk roll. So, so there's people interested in building exchanges, but it absolutely is fair to say, and it's useful for people to understand our goals. We do plan to have a product portfolio or strategy that we build on top of the protocol. We do seek to operate across the stack, the protocol, the products. I guess one thing I'll add is. A project that actually uses Loopring for the payment functionality, which, as we, as I just said, kind of came as an afterthought for us initially, is something called uh, Rails. Rails is um, a project by the DX DAO. The DX DAO is, is a really cool DAO. I'm not. Oh, I guess I don't have time to get into that, but it's a DAO of you know 400, 450 plus people. Is they deployed um, a product called Rails, Rails.eth or rails.eth.link, which sits on the Loopring layer two and allows anybody to send transfers to each other gas-free and instantly, or actually completely free. The fees are completely uh, abstracted from there. There's no fees. So Rails is like this little collaboration between DXDAO and, and Loopring for them to run a payment application on top of Loopring. And anybody who is on Rails is automatically already on loopring.io it's the same layer two environment you're on the same land right so if you have if you kind of activated your ethereum account for a rails account that means you're on loopring.io and vice versa and we're going to continue to see more and more things like that so i'm sorry if that was a bit long-winded but that is kind of the the difference between our product side the, the protocol side and how it all intertwines i hope it's somewhat clear because at times, it's not even clear uh, to, to me, right? It, it's kind of... Uh... No, I, I understood it all. It was really, really well explained. And what is the state of Loopring.io and, and Loopring, the, the roll-up, since you also have other products building on it that you just mentioned, uh, Rails.eth and, and others? So it's kind of intertwined. So what is the state of adoption today? How many users are there on this rollup? How how many value is transacted? Can you give us some some stats here? Yeah, sure. So adoption is is coming very, you know, steadily. We're really enthused with it. It's slowly but surely. Sometimes it goes in big spurts, but there are I think 6700 people on Looprings layer 2 or 6700 accounts. That means Ethereum accounts. To get on to the layer two right now, just as I kind of said, you like map your address. You say, hey, I want, you know, Emmanuel.eth. I'm not sure if that's actually your, your ENS name. I don't want to dox you. I'm not sure if that's him, everybody, or whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, but It's correct. It, oh, okay, so that, that's good. So Emmanuel.eth, you kind of just like tell the Loopring smart contract, I want Emmanuel.eth to be 
mapped into your parallel universe, into your Merkle tree. And here is 500 die. And it says, okay, Emmanuel.eth. And you know the keys, the same private keys that control your address, control your address on the layer two. And so, so that is an account. So Emmanuel.eth would be one of the 6,700 accounts. There's about $25 million in the, the deposit contract. So in the layer two is, is about $25 million. Over the past nine months, there's been, I think we're about to cross kind of 2 million transactions. So yeah, so, so you know, it, it's hard to kind of, rash, but, but those are like, you know, the, the top line figures. It's growing, you know, as gas fees have gotten prohibitively expensive, everybody's looking to layer two. You know, we were kind of like the first one available. We were the first one with like a working product. Now there's, you know, there's, there's great peers. There, there's great people helping us push this forward. Um, but, you know, usage is pretty good. One thing, like the actual exchange, so, so volume is also like about a million dollars a day on, on the exchange, which for us is, we're, we're pleased with that number. On, on, on a good day, it does like a million and a half volume. The reason why that's not like, you know, these massive hundreds of millions of dollars number is, you know, what I'll use as excuses or reasons uh, for why we're not seeing huge, huge volume is because A, it takes some education, right? It takes learning. We need to do these podcasts to, to let people know, oh, this is an alternative to a centralized exchange. So I don't need to be scared by Qcoin and OKX and BitMEX, all, all these crazy things happening. I could still, you know, if I'm a, a trader, an algorithmic trader that really likes those properties of high speed, low cost, there's an alternative on Ethereum uh, you know, so it's just education. Honestly, crypto testers is like exactly this sort of thing. We need to just to educate people. Um, or maybe we, we shouldn't even be thinking about it of educating, just awareness, right? Like here is this this um, this product you use. We don't want to, you know, just educate. People get bored of, of learning. They just want to use things that are good UX. Um, so so that's, that's one thing. The other is just structurally, market structure. We are an order book exchange. Obviously, all the rage these days are AMMs. They have some amazingly nice properties for, for what you know, for the use case, which is easy liquidity. Right, drop your liquidity here, and now you're a market maker. You're a liquidity provider. You're earning fees. That pool becomes liquid. So we've kind of been watching this whole AMM explosion, and we're like, oh man, we really believe in order books. We know order books are going to be an, like huge on Ethereum with with things like Loopring and stuff like that. But to bootstrap liquidity, we're like, we wish we could support passive pools of liquidity, right? AMMs. So that is what being built into version 3.6 or is built, uh, will be deployed within um, a month, within November or December. So things like that will really move the needle for us. We Like when we say, hey, our ZK rollup is now on mainnet with AMM support. So you could deposit, you could become a liquidity provider, gas free, you could remove liquidity gas free, you could trade gas free. Um, we're really excited for kind of that. We, we think that'll open the floodgates and allow people to really, to get on board. So, and honestly, there's just so many improvements. We've learned so much running a layer two over the past 11 months. Like there's just certain things that we're, we were not ready for that, that were not optimized. Like right now to create an account, you have to do an action that says emmanuel.eth wants to become you know, a, a, an account in the rollup and you do a transaction and it costs gas and it's like 274,000 gas, which today could be like, you know, three bucks, but in the height of the crazy gas prices was like, you know, 20 bucks. 
So nobody was, um, you know, it, it was a, a big barrier. So we've, we've really restructured things so people could come on a lot more cheaply and then you'll be able to send, like right now you could also only send transfers to, to people that are on the ZK rollup, which is obviously like really bad. You want to be able to send money to anybody, not just people who say, Hey, first come here, then I'll send it to you. So that's another improvement uh, we've done since now payments on our mind. So all those things are top of mind for us. One important thing to add, I'd say is, and this is related to our, like our product strategy. We have been working on also all year, a smart contract wallet, a loopring smart contract wallet that basically distills everything we've spoken about into mobile format in, in a smart contract wallet. So it has all the nice features of, of a smart contract wallet. Maybe your listeners are, are familiar. You might've done an episode about smart contract yeah. wallets, but yeah. So, so all that, but with our ZK roll natively in there. So whenever you're doing a transfer, it's fast and it's, and it's gas free or completely free. Whenever you're doing a trade, it's going to be fast and gas free, right? You're no longer going to be. So this loop ring wallet, it's currently like in alpha. We maybe have like, you know, a uh, hundred testers, mostly in, in Chinese language um, interface right now, but I, I have it and it's, it's lovely to use. Honestly, like I'm so excited for this to, for this to drop. So this wallet is tied into our, our layer two. So that's a big part of the product strategy. So between loopring.io, which is going to get a massive facelift and get AMM functionality in there as well. So when you go to the exchange, you're not just going to have 25 trading pairs. You're going to have like everything, hopefully, you know, replicate that Uniswap long tail support. The long tail of assets is much easier to support in a pool model. Um, and then, yeah, so, so, so that, is, that is the product strategy. It's, it's, it's loopring.io for the exchange and the swapping and like the web application. And it's, and it's um, loopring mobile wallet for a whole bunch more uh, yeah. in, in mobile. Honestly, yeah, these, that, these changes sound like exactly the right methods to accelerate adoption. I think especially the AMM functionality uh, will be a real game changer along with that other UX that you mentioned where users don't need to be on the roll-up yet in order to receive payments. So that means that you can basically just send money to anyone and then they have an incentive to actually get onboarded to that roll-up because they have some money waiting for them, basically. And then, yeah, the, the wallet with, with the, I guess, looping IO decentralized exchange integrated natively that will all make all this much more user-friendly. And just to explain uh, why liquidity is so important and uh, you, because you mentioned it a couple of times that this is what you want to really boost in order to get more people using looping.io. So for an order book exchange, liquidity is super important because it uh, basically allows big traders to make big trades and uh, like not incur high slippage on their trades. Because if there's only, uh, I don't know, like $2,000 of liquidity in the order book, then you won't be able to make a $1 million trade. So the more liquidity there's on the exchange, the more interesting the exchange becomes for big traders. And so this becomes kind of a cycle where more liquidity attracts even more liquidity. And so this is classic network effects. And 
I read somewhere on, on Twitter that, I don't know if Loopring was named there, but that some layer two solutions are thinking about uh, liquidity mining. So basically incentivizing users to get onboarded on the rollup and make trades and provide liquidity and do all these things that uh, provide value to the rollup. And in exchange, they get the native token from the protocol. So this would basically accelerate adoption. Have you planned something like this? Right. So very good question. And in fact, we do have liquidity mining on Loopring, and it's it's pretty much exactly as you said, except uh, uh, some slight differences. So yeah, liquidity mining in our case is because we are an order book exchange right now. We So liquidity mining is basically saying, hey, everybody, please come provide liquidity here. Come, you know, provide liquidity, aka provide a service for other users or would-be users, right? If somebody wants to come to use an exchange, they're happy if there's liquidity, like basically the other side of their trade that is there. So that's what liquidity mining is. It's incentivizing that. And, you know, everyone is familiar with the kind of more simple liquidity mining where it's, hey, deposit your assets here, and now you're earning, you know, some uni every block. It's it's very simple. It's very clean. On an order book exchange, though, like what does that mean? That doesn't work, right? You can't say, hey, deposit your assets here because an order book, right? It's moving every second. Um, you know, for your listeners, think about if you've ever used a centralized exchange, it's like that, right? The liquidity providers, the people that are providing liquidity to other users on there are really kind of professional market makers or semi-professional market makers or hobbyists and enthusiasts that like to run trading bots. Their bot says, hey, look at the price on another venue and map it over here. So look at Binance and anytime Binance moves by 0.01%, change the price here on loopring.io. That is like a cross-exchange arbitrage or market-making strategy where somebody's doing that. That is not kind of attractive for the everyday user, but it is very attractive for somebody that knows how to run or build a trading bot. Anyways, that's what we have on Loopring. We've actually had it since before the whole liquidity mining craze, uh, we've had it since early June, which like predated, comp, I guess, you know, comp kind of, uh, comp is what exploded the, the new liquidity mining and yield farming craze, in, in my opinion, right? In like mid-June. In early June, we, we started liquidity mining on Loopring. We said, if you are providing resting limit orders on certain order books, you are going to earn some assets every hour. Every hour, we take a snapshot of the order book. Let's say ETH USDT. Whoever has a, li- an, a limit order. So a limit order is something that rests on the order book. It's the, order, it's the orders that you actually see. It's what makes up the order book, as opposed to a market order, which is what takes a limit order, takes it off the book. Market orders remove liquidity. Limit orders rest there and, and add liquidity to a book. Whoever is adding liquidity to ETH USDT ETH die, let's say like five pairs, every hour we take a snapshot and we say thank you for, for, for having a resting limit order, which allows other users to do what they want to do, buy ETH, sell ETH, blah, blah, blah. And we will pay and we will give your layer two account some amount of assets every, every hour. So that's what we've been doing. So it is, it's liquidity mining, but it's kind of like an old school type of liquidity mining. It's actually like, it's very Hummingbot inspired. If, if some of your users who are, who are more into trading bots might know Hummingbot, 
because that, it's, you know, that's how we have to do it. I very much look forward to when we support AMMs within, you know, very imminently to say, hey, liquidity mining is now open to anybody that wants to provide assets, kind of the easy way that, that has popularized it over this DeFi summer that says, hey, deposit your ETH into this pool, deposit your, your DAI, and now you're earning some LRC every block or every hour. But until then, I guess this is, this is an appeal to your audience who likes to trade, who likes to tinker with, with market-making bots, with trading bots, either building your own via our API or using some um, you know, ready-built bot platforms like Hummingbot, which is integrated into Loopring. If you, if you could run one of those bots, it's really worth your while. Um, here's a bit of a shill to provide liquidity on Loopring because this greater degree of difficulty, the fact that we're saying, hey, you can't just deposit assets and leave. You have to actually be here or your bot has to be here running, uh, you know, making markets on this. Then, and you're going to earn uh, a return every hour. That is what's going on now. So I really suggest people look at it because the, the greater degree of difficulty is actually keeping it one of like the best kept secrets of, of liquidity mining on Ethereum because it's not open to everybody. I wish it were. Like it is open to everybody, but I just mean it's not, it's not easy for everybody, right? You need to build a bot right now. But in the coming months, we'll definitely have a passive version. But for right now, there are, I, I should say though, we don't, we don't actually pay out um, liquidity mining rewards in LRC, in Looprings native token. We kind of do it per campaign, so, so per trading pair. Like, okay. um, yeah, so I'll leave it there, but it's basically like an issuer. It's, it's a separate token issuer that says, hey, I want to incentivize my trading pair. Let's say, you know, BZRX ETH. I want to incentivize BZRX ETH on loopring.io. So I have supplied a pool of, you know, $4,000 worth of BZRX that every hour, whoever is in that snapshot, um, they, they get the rewards. So, so I definitely... For all the tinkerers in your audience or people that love to run trading bots, um, it, it's the liquidity mining is actually super attractive right now. Uh, a, a community member of ours did an analysis, and the the, AP, the APYs are about um, 450 to 550% percent right now. And Crazy. again, like we don't hear people talk, we don't hear people talking about that because it's just not as easily attainable. But yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there, Emmanuel, but you're, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the program currently. And, and so basically liquidity mining, yes, but only for yeah professional market makers slash people who can run a bot, but not for users just for getting onboarded or doing payments or uh, trading, something like that. that. That is not on the roadmap. It will be on the roadmap. As soon as we support AMM, uh, so there'll be passive liquidity, liquidity mining, and maybe even something for transfers as well. You're right. Like we should, if you're coming to use loopring.io for, for just free transfers or rails.eth for free transfers, we should, in my opinion, maybe my teammates will, will, will dissent. We should provide even them uh, a, a bit of an incentive to say, Hey, come use our ZK rollup for payments. Uh, we definitely will generalize it and we will throw LRC rewards. And basically, you know, like there was a nice post a while ago that like liquidity mining, it's like kind of, it's like zero sum, right? It's like p the capital is very fluid. It'll go from here to there to chase the highest yield. We're actually, I'm very happy that we haven't really like 
shot our shot yet or like you know dispensed our ammo we have we have like not we have not really used lrc at all for liquidity mining so i feel like we have a lot of dry powder and when the time comes we're going to flip the switch and we're going to get a bit more aggressive with incentivizing um, usage and liquidity and going to reward all the users of, of the roll-up. But right now, I'm quite happy that we have this kind of like dry powder ready to go because I wouldn't have wanna, you know, ex expended all of my energy yet. So uh, I'm happy we haven't. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, let's maybe finish by talking about the looping token. I think that's a good topic. So I saw that it has developed quite nicely over the last couple of months. So congrats on that. And I guess my, my question with layer two tokens in general is how do they uh, generate kind of value? Because I guess that you generate some fees on, on the rollup, like every transaction has a little fee, but how does the looping token accrue value? What's the case for yeah, LRC? Right. Okay. I'll try to do this very quickly. And, um, because I know you have a you have a, an engagement yeah. after this to, to get to. <laughs> so LRC, quite simply, right now it could be staked by users on layer one. Unfortunately, the first thing I'll say is LRC token model has not kept up with the advancement of Loopring itself. Okay, so I'm about to say is subject to change. The token mechanics are a year and a half old, whereas our rollup is only you know been live for has been live for a year. And we've learned a lot. So LRC is, is due to be upgraded from all that we've learned. But right now, people could stake it. So any user could stake LRC and you get your share of the protocol fees. Protocol fees, right now, any trade that happens on any Loopring built exchange, so not Loopring, not just Loopring.io, but also Weedex and other exchanges that may or may not pop up, six basis points, so 0.06% of all, of all trades go to a protocol fee vault and stakers get a claim on that. So that's the first thing, very simple. Um, actually, so, so six basis, 0.6% uh, goes to the protocol fee vault, 70% of that goes to stakers, 10% gets burned, and 20% goes to fund the a a loopering DAO. Uh, a yet to be created loopring DAO, but it goes to a pool that will will fund th this DAO. So so that's that's that plain and simple. Cool. Um, one one thing to add, I guess. Sorry, I'm not that quick with it. There's also another reason to stake it for operators. So we that run loopring.io or Weedex that runs Weedex, the exchange owner has to stake LRC as a little extra security guarantee. As we've learned, we only rely on Ethereum for users to keep their complete security guarantees. But an operator, the person that actually runs the exchange, even though they could never turn malicious, they could kind of be annoying in their service level. Meaning I could be, let's say I click withdraw and the, the me as a user, I want to withdraw as we spoke about before. And the exchange operator, maybe they had like a blackout in where their web, where their cloud servers are or blah, 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 or for whatever. If they are slow and, they, and they, they're, they're going to require users to kind of get to that global shutdown where I have to include my own zero-knowledge proof to get my own assets back, the protocol punishes the operator for being slow and for providing like a bad service, and it slashes their LRC. So it kind of provides like a little extra service level guarantee on top of the Ethereum cryptographic security guarantees. 
Um, I'm not, so it's kind of both sides of the equation could stake normal users and normal stakers, and also the exchange operator as a bit of a promise to, I promise to do everything as fast as possible. If not, of course, you always get your assets back, but I will also be penalized by being slashed. So, so that's LRC in a nutshell. Gotcha. Very interesting. Yeah, I always thought layer two tokens are not interesting because fees on, I mean, the whole USP of these layer twos is that the fees are so low. And hence, I thought they weren't so interesting as an investment, definitely as a technology and definitely as a user to kind of yeah make payments or use the exchange. But I never thought LRC would uh, yeah be so interesting as a as an investment. I, I guess I'll look more into it. But uh, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for your time. It was super interesting to get uh, an insight into the layer two world and also a sneak peek in your a crazy ambitious roadmap, but with so much potential. And I'll make sure to include some uh, links to loopring.io, but also rails.eth, which you mentioned. And yeah, I hope uh, more people will go to layer two and to loopring.io. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. I really appreciate it. And when we do kind of drop version 3.6 and the, the mobile wallet, I'll definitely, uh, I'll need to hit you up for some crypto tester love and for helping us educate and uh you know do what you guys do best so thank yeah, you very much count on me thanks hey it's me again i hope you liked this episode if you did please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on, on twitter or linkedin and if you have some feedback reach out to me i'd love to hear it